Late Night Council is a production of Council Communications. This is Late Night Council. This is bigger. This is very big. There's definitely something here. Apparently, it's a big deal. It's all over the news. It's a real thing. A radio signal from another world. That's my grandpa. Well, your story is very compelling. Your chance to make history. That's pretty cool, I guess. Give it to me straight. John, you're in charge. Now, this is when I usually come on. I give out the phone numbers and tell you we're open line, open topic. You can talk about whatever you want. Call right now if you're really upset about something, if you're really excited about something, or you just like to hear yourself talk. Uh, uh, Not right now, okay? I I don't want you calling in until at least, oh, might be wanting to stack them up at 945 Eastern, okay? 945 Eastern, that's 645 for uh, my relatives out in California and my friends in BC, okay? So uh, I, I don't want any calls until 945. I know you're itching to call. Try and save it for then, and it's going to be worth the wait. I'll tell you why. Because I have a story I want to bring to you that uh, once you hear the story, you're going to understand why uh, I don't want any interruptions on this, okay? It was in, uh, I believe, now... Somehow I didn't get my Ottawa Sun today, okay? So I had to go with the online edition with Ottawa Sun and all the other newspapers I, uh, um, you know, devour on the weekend before I come on air. And uh, I don't know if it made it into the print edition, but it was definitely on the online edition of the uh, of the Ottawa Sun. And and uh, they were going to do a bit of a break, and then then. Uh, I've got a guest coming on tonight. I hardly ever have guests on Late Night Council, particularly the Ask the Pastor version, which is all you get now on Sunday nights on this website. And uh, uh, I heard Melinda Tibbetts' story yesterday, and I was always kind of aware of her background of what happened to her and, and uh, you know, the impact it's had on her life. And it wasn't until... Oh, it's only about two or three hours ago. I got the whim, you know, I mean, because I'm a little bit of a slow thinker and a slow learner, you know, like uh, I, it takes me a while, but it kicked in. Doofus, get her on the show. I mean, my goodness, her story's unbelievable. It's incredible. So Melinda's going to be joining us probably around 9.15, 9.20, and I want to give her a lot of time, and we will not be taking calls when she's uh, when I'm yakking back and forth with her. And uh, where do you hear this lady's story, Okay. Uh, she is a member of my church, okay, a very, very active and beloved member of my church. She was a, a, v- a victim of abuse growing up, uh, uh, abandoned, uh, you know, by her father. Her single mom had to raise her, uh, got into drugs, got into uh, alcohol, became an addict, and uh, she ended up, and she will tell her story and fill in the blanks. I'm just giving you a bit of a heads up. Uh, before she came to faith in Christ, okay, um, she had two abortions, and if you follow me on Twitter or if you've seen the Late Night Council Facebook page, um, I put out the line that she's going to tell us a side of that whole debate that the government doesn't want us to know, okay? Now, this is not a political show tonight. I did not mean to scare anybody off by all councils doing the whole you know political—no, I'm not, okay? This is a real lady, 
And uh, I really would love her story to be heard tonight. And uh, hopefully I'm going to do her justice by, uh, you know, having a yak with her tonight. You're going to find it very, very interesting. When she's off the air, when we say goodbye to her tonight, uh, you may want to talk about, uh, you know, what she's talking about and her story. Uh, We will be open line, open topic from 945 on all the way to 11 o'clock. So if you really got something you want to talk about, or you can email me too, you know, because emails, it can can stay on the queue there and I can bring up the email. It's got to be less than six lines. So I may as well give out the phone numbers now if you uh, are so inclined and you haven't written down the numbers yet, 343-700-4390 in Ottawa, the capital region, Gatineau, Aylmer, Buckingham, you know, like Chelsea, uh, Shovel, I think, can even use that number, 343-700-4390 in the whole capital region, 343-700-4390. Again, not taking calls till 945 yet. And all you folks listening all across, uh, all around the, this uh, wonderful planet of ours, 844 844- Five six two four seven six six. That's good just for North America, okay? Our listeners in Germany and Europe, and I can see on the screen that you're listening. Eight four four five six two four seven six six is the long distance number. Of course, uh, uh, Twitter and and uh, 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 the email that is truly worldwide. JC at late night council dot com. You can send me an email. It's got to be under six lines. JC at late night council dot com, and you can tweet at me at J. Uh, w Council. Now, I want to get to the story here. And, and usually when I bring uh, stories to the program, and I've got other stories I want to share with you, I want to talk about Hurricane Irma tonight. Uh, I want to talk about, uh, uh, well, hey, NFL season kicked off today. And, yeah, there's there's some – this is not a sports show. This is Ask the Pastor. This is Late Night Council. But, you know, the, the host is a bit of a sports nut. And uh, I found some really, really interesting stuff that uh, uh, to do with uh, uh, Carson Wentz. You don't know who Carson Wentz is because you're not a big NFL fan, but anybody who's a big NFL fan knows that Carson Wentz had his rookie year with the Philadelphia Eagles last year and uh, played pretty good today. Who'd they play today? The Eagles beat somebody today, and I don't think they were supposed to. They beat the Redskins. They beat the Washington Redskins and beat them quite handily. Well, Carson Wentz, their quarterback, apparently, is quite the follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I use my words very carefully. I don't like using the term Christian. Because everybody's got preconceived ideas of what a Christian is, and, and, and most people don't go by what the biblical definition of a Christian is. So I have had to come up with something that's different, you know, a serious follower of Jesus Christ. And uh, his story has been making the rounds on uh, some pretty good uh, verifiable and trustworthy websites this week, and I, I want to tell you a little bit about that. And, and while I was researching, some of you in the Capital Region that are Ottawa Sens fan, Sens fans, you remember Patrick Weirkosh, okay, defenseman. He's still in the NHL. I think he left us to go play with the Colorado Avalanche. He has just signed, I believe, with the Vancouver Canucks. Why am I bringing him up? Because if you look up Patrick Weirkosh's Twitter feed, if you go to his Twitter page, okay, they usually have a very short biographical blurb about, you know, uh, 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 who the person is. And I think he's got about 15,000 followers, which is not a lot for an NHL hockey player. And all it says, and I thought this was great, okay, because I, I know enough people that have known Patrick Weirkosh that are connected with the Senators here, and they, he's a really good guy, okay? Not a bad hockey player either. There's only two things you're going to find out by going to Patrick Weirkosh's uh, Twitter uh, uh, um, page. It says that defenseman, newly signed defenseman with the Vancouver Canucks, and, are you ready for this? Follower of Jesus Christ. And I love the terminology, you know? 
I think the guy gets it. I think he knows the difference between what it means to really follow Christ and, you know, just do the whole religious Christian cultural thing, which, you know, sometimes really ticks me off. And if you want to know more about that at 945, we can yak about that. But I want to get to the story before Melinda joins me, okay? And some of you may have seen this. And if you were thinking like me, you were thinking, oh, man, I hope counsel brings this up. And, and, And this sets up Melinda's story quite well. This is... How would I describe this? Poignant, soul-searching, gut-wrenching, uh, kind of slap you up the side of the head. And this is a, I would call this a, a powerful, maybe a reality story. Not enough of these stories. I mean, it's a tragedy, but at the same time, well, you, you interpret it for what it's worth. And I'm going to give you the whole, it's not a very long story, so I don't mind giving you the whole thing, okay? A Michigan woman, this is in Detroit, a Michigan woman who sacrificed the chance to prolong her life in order to give birth to her sixth child, died early Saturday. That's just yesterday, her husband said. Nick DeKlein told the Associated Press that his wife, Carrie DeKlein, died surrounded by family at the University of Michigan Hospital in Ann Arbor. He said among his last words to her were, I'll see you in heaven. We stayed by her until she took her last breath, Nick DeKlein said. It's in God's hands now. Doctors removed Carrie declines feeding and breathing tubes on Thursday, a day after, a day after she gave birth to her daughter. Life Lynn decline. Life Lynn. They called her life. The mother chose, listen to this, the mother chose to forego chemotherapy to treat her brain cancer since it would have meant ending her pregnancy. Life Lynn was born prematurely at 24 weeks and five days into the pregnancy and weighing one pound, four ounces. Nick DeKlein said his daughter is doing better than expected in neonatal intensive care, gaining weight and almost breathing on her own. She's going to be fine, he said. She's going to be here for four or five months, but we expect her to be a healthy baby. The doctor just said the timing of the birth couldn't have been more perfect. The couple, who are from Western Michigan, the western Michigan city of Wyoming, have five other kids who range from ages of 2 to 18. Nick DeKlein said the family is strong in its Christian faith. My wife loves the Lord, and she loves her children more than anything, he said Friday. It's painful, but this is what she wanted. She wanted to protect this child. Since Carrie DeKlein's cancer diagnosis in April, the family's been sharing updates about her and her pregnancy on the Facebook page, Cure for Carrie. Posted on the page Saturday was a reference to the Bible verse, John 15, 13, which reads, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. You know how I would describe that story? That one of my that my friends is 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 probably the most one of the most powerful pro-choice stories you will ever hear of. It's not Hollywood, okay? It's not there's no hype there. But that lady had a choice. And that's got to be one of the gutsiest choices I've ever heard of. Okay, now you can debate back and forth whether you know, uh, uh, you know, it was right to do that. How could you argue with a mom, you know, that 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 loves God and loves her kids, and in agreement with her husband to make a choice like that? That's a powerful, powerful choice. And you know what? I'm all for choice, but my main point is, I hope you're making the right choice. Okay, and I hope before you make any choices that you're getting all the facts and you're not getting a lot of politically correct hype and you're not getting a lot of censored stuff that the powers that be don't want you to know about. Now, my guest, Melinda, when we come back from a short break, okay, Melinda is uh, 
has some real strong opinions on the choices that she was offered when she was a young, vulnerable girl, and she didn't know where to turn to, didn't know what to do, didn't have all the information, but she was only supplied with the information that the government provided. And because of that, well, it's going to be much more poignant and much more, uh, I would say, effective uh, when she tells her story. And my only, my only concern is, is that I won't do her story justice by asking the right questions. And uh, I don't want to expose her to the phones because she's, she's new to talk radio. Actually, she's new to talk radio, but she shared her story on Parliament Hill on May the 11th when the March for Life took place. And, you know, we're talking like thousands and thousands of people. And there she was up, uh, you know, sharing her story and, and telling people of, of, you know, what she's lived through. And uh, you're going to want to hear about it. Uh, when we get back, okay, we're going to gonna take a real short break. It's going to be a short one, okay? Very, very short. And uh, uh, when we get back... Uh, hopefully, Melinda's going to be joining us. I don't see her on the line yet, but uh, uh, she's going to be calling about 9.15 and uh, going to take a break. Going to hear from the people that make the show possible. And uh, then we rip right back on uh, uh, Late Night Council. Stay with us. <laughs> EMM Group is the authorized IntegraSpec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete forms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made IntegraSpec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at IntegraSpec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600. Welcome back. I think I've got Melinda with me here. Let's uh, check it out and see if she can hear me. Melinda, can you hear me? Hello. Hello. There you are, Melinda. Thanks for calling in. Oh, thank you for allowing me this opportunity. Now, Melinda, were you listening to the program just before you came in? I talked a little bit about your story. I certainly didn't let all the cat out of the bag. Did I get any facts wrong yet? No. (laughs) No, you did not. Now, you, uh, Melinda, you, you, am I correct in you uh, saying that you told your story on Parliament Hill uh, at the last March for Life? And when I uh-huh. heard your full story yesterday, um, well, tell us a little bit about your background. What led you to get into the situation that you were in uh, as a young girl? Give us a little bit about it. You can go back as far as you want. 
Um, yeah, okay. Well, I grew up with um, a single mom who worked night and day and uh, left alone pretty much a lot. And I got into drugs and alcohol at a very young age. And so by the time I was 19, I had a pretty bad habit of um, drinking and doing drugs and not feeling very proud of myself to start off with. And so at the age of 19, I was living with a man, and we were uh, drinking regularly. We were doing drugs daily, and we pretty much partied constantly. And um, I was sick in the mornings and realized um, uh, there was something wrong. So I went to a doctor, and he confirmed my suspicions that I was pregnant. And that's the beginning of the journey towards abortion there. Now, um, what options were given to you when you went uh, to the doctor? None. None? Uh, no, you see, because at the time, all the newspapers, the women's groups, the articles, the TV shows told me it was my right to decide what to do with my body um, and that it was just a lump of flesh in there anyway. And um, it was very convincing. It's enough to convince me that... Um, I would make the most pathetic mother there ever was, and no baby deserves something like me. So, and this was the doctor I went to see when he confirmed my pregnancy. Um, told me I had come to the right place. Um, it seemed to me he was telling me he was very connected, and uh, he told me that the government would pay for it all. I needn't worry about anything. So the appointment was set for one week later. That's all it took. Now, you didn't even consider any emotional trauma. You never considered the life of the child. Those thoughts didn't come across your mind. I mean, because uh, some people think that, you know, when a woman makes that decision, they think about all those things. Did you? Certainly not, because I was not, I didn't, I have, didn't have that information coming to me. All I had was, this is not a life, this will ruin your life and you're not capable of looking at a child right looking after a child right now anyways i didn't no one even mentioned adoption to me that source or the programs that are out there to help single mothers or maybe this is time for your life to turn around you've got something to live for now or any of those other options we're not coming my way at all, at all. Now, Melinda, the last thing I would want to do is put words in your mouth, but do, do you feel mm -hmm. that, that, that you f were pressured into this in any way? Um, I have to say yes, Pastor John, because... Really? Um, yes, because of um, the, the stigma attached to being a single mom, it was like the worst thing in the world that could happen to you. Like being pregnant was a disease, okay, and you what, needed what to year get are you rid talking? of it. What year are you talking here, Melinda? This would be, the first one was in 1977. 77, okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and yeah. no options were offered to you? It seems as though, like in those years, well, this was the with it, progressive, uh, you know. Way to go. Responsible, I would even suggest, yeah, exactly. way to go. That's a good word, Pastor John. It, it was irresponsive, irresponsible of me to have this child, and um, no consideration given to, well, maybe I can change my life. Maybe now, I can do this. You know? now, and why, um, why? it was so easy and so quick and, and free 
um, it was just at my fingertips. Not really a whole lot of time to think. The abortion happened one week after I talked to the doctor. Now, emotionally, okay, emotionally, why do you think you were so easy to sell on the idea? I mean, you're a grown woman now. You're mature. You know the, the, the implications of it. But back then... Uh, you know, I know you're raised by a single mom, but, uh, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. there are some single moms out there. In fact, most of the single moms I know, they're my heroes. They're just amazing, you know, and, and, uh, 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 you, would you describe yourself as down on yourself? You didn't believe in yourself or, or, uh, are you like, uh, what, what put you in a place where, where you could be led down the garden path like that? I was unstable, as a lot of 19 to 21 young year old girls are. You know, I was unstable. I really, you know, I didn't have any good information to make a, a proper decision with. I, all the information was one-sided, and like I said, um, I hadn't. I know I had been drinking and doing drugs, so I, I didn't have someone to say, okay. Think clearly now. Were you were you know, you cl- look at all your options. Now, you were living with that somebody, there. but were you still close to your mom? Um, at this time, um, yes, I was close to her. We didn't see each other a lot, but uh, yes, I was close did to her. Did she know? But she didn't, I did not tell her any of this, no. How do you I think did she, not. How do you think Actually, she, go ahead. How do you think she would have reacted? How do you think she would have felt? She probably would have told me to think about it because look at, you know, she had done it. She did it with, you know, uh, with myself, with my sister. She probably would have asked me to rethink, and she, I don't think she would have think it was, it was right, uh, the right thing to do. So, like, uh, did honest. you feel uh, it's just a lot less hassle from what you were led to believe? It's just a lot less hassle for me to get this done, or um, do you think, you know, did you feel shamed to tell your mom, or or uh, what was the reason of not telling your mom? Uh, uh, that's it, because something inside of me knew it was wrong. Something inside wow. of me knew I was ending a life, but yet I could not deal with that, right? So I couldn't tell her, well, now, because now you, it seemed like, sorry? So you didn't know what that something was, and you felt bad enough no. that you were going through with it, and you felt you're going to get an emotionally beat up from your mom if, if if you let her know, and it's just a lot more convenient, a lot less hassle if I believe what the doctors and my whoever else is telling me and get this done. Is am I is that accurate? That's absolutely accurate. It was just uh, it was just the the right and easy and smart way to do things. Now, where was the guy that you were living with? What was his uh, uh, take on the whole thing? Well, you see, I think men have for so long been told they have no right to say anything about what we do. And so he, he told me, he goes, I support you in whatever you decide, whatever you decide to do. And um, so I made his decision for him. I don't think, I think he, he felt he didn't have a right. And that's, was common then it's it's my choice well, you know now. don't tell me anything it's yeah. just as common now you yeah. know that yeah 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 exactly now when when now you had two okay yes now yes. like so i'm assuming that the i'll call it regret or emotional trauma or realization of what you did and if there's a more accurate thing to call it please do that for me because uh, I'm trying Certainly. to relate to your situation as best as I can here, okay? 
when did that like that regret or whatever you want to call it or the realization that didn't really click in until you had a second one is that true Oh, actually, it didn't even click in. I felt shamed for having to do this a second time. I could not answer you at that time why I felt ashamed. Um, well, maybe I, because, because and, oh, I can't believe I'm in this situation again. How stupid could I be from that angle? How yeah. stupid can I be? You know, yeah, how yeah. exactly it. How stupid can I be? Yeah. And I, I carried that shame for uh, over 30 years with me, and I didn't speak a word about it to anybody. So what was that like? Did it, did, did it affect work? Did it affect your livelihood? Did it affect your everyday affairs? Was it just something that you could sweep under the rug and it's in your past? And I mean, because that's the way, you know, this whole uh, uh, abortion thing is promoted. Look, it's just, you know, you can get on with your life and this is the thing to do. Was that true with you? Um, yes, that was, was on the surface. But underneath, I kept seeing myself as a failure. How could I do anything? I, you know, I could not even be a mother to a child. I saw myself failing at everything before I even did it, and almost a self-loathing. But I didn't recognize this till many years later, many, many years later. And, uh, yeah, I'm very much down on myself. Suicidal thoughts at times, and... Um, uh, yeah, I stayed like that for a long time. What kept long you from time. what kept you from committing suicide? Well, you know, I was so down on myself. I used to think, oh, if I commit suicide, you know, things would probably change. Would have changed for me a week later, and uh, I couldn't even do the suicide thing right. So, but but you that know, sounds I, like you kept holding on because there was a a, a little yeah. bit of hope there. Yeah, I believe you're right. I believe you're right. There was a spark of hope there. And that kept you going. It did. Now, it certainly uh, did. Uh, now, what came first? Uh, so you always believed it was the wrong thing to do. Are you? Am I right in assuming that you, you felt that you were carrying that shame, even though you buried it and you tried to get on with your life? Would you say the shame was always there? You always knew it was a wrong thing? Uh, yes, I believe um, it, it was. I believe just that. It was the wrong thing to do and especially after when I did be, uh, get married and want to have children and found out I could not. You, you found out you could not. Now why did they tell you you could not have kids? Scar tissue on my womb ah. from the abortion. So women still, abortion. Aren't, women still aren't warned about that are they when they go in? Oh absolutely not. Absolutely not. We're not, still to this day not given any information on aftercare or any or or on the procedure itself it's just a quick in out like an abortion mill pretty now, much did you did you um did you have uh uh resentment were you angry that you know you were having these feelings and and uh and, and nobody warned you about these things uh, were you wanting to get back at somebody because or, or did you just keep it all in and let it all destroy you and degrade you even more Exactly. That's exactly what I did because I couldn't blame anybody but myself. Um, and until I found out that you know there are agencies and information out there who would help someone in my condition, who would at least let them know what the other options are. So I didn't find this out well until about four years ago. And uh, hold, until hold, then, hold on, four I, years ago. So you're yeah. talking, you didn't yeah. know of any of those organizations. You had the two abortions in 77 and 78, that's right? 
Seventy-eight, seventy-seven, and seventy-nine. So, so you're talking, you're talking a good oh thirty-five years before you knew there was absolutely. any counseling to deal with the regret or the emotional trauma. That's absolutely right. Now, absolutely right. How did you find that those those resources? I mean, I, I mean, I, I think we need, to, I think we need to remind people that the government offers no, absolutely no counseling on the regret and the emotional trauma that happens just about every time somebody, you know, some woman has an abortion, okay? You are not going to get any government-sponsored counseling for that whatsoever. So how did you find those resources, and what were those resources? Where would you go? I started to write my story on paper because someone told me, um, I I was talking to someone, and I listened to other uh, testimonies about uh, abortion, and and someone told me to start writing my story, so I did. And in doing that, I started to do some research online, uh, looking at statistics, and then all um, different agencies came up, first first place options, and all different pregnancy centers. And there are some places out there, and with funding that can help young women in that. Well, and, they don't get government that, funding; they're privately funded. Excuse me. Yes, they are privately funded. Yeah. Yes. And then I came across Silent No More um, organization um, who are helping men and women try heal from long, uh, now, long-term. Now, you just said abortion. something that somebody hardly ever says. You said men and women. Yes. Okay. Yes, uh, men give and, me the angle and, on the men there because that's not something that – what you just said there hardly ever enters into the whole abortion debate. Be you're coming from a you know from a, a pro life or, or or a, a pro abortion side there. What do you mean they? Oh, uh, on, tell me about the tell me about the male angle on it. Sure. On on March uh, 11th, when I spoke uh, giving testimony, there were three men there also giving testimony about how they had silently watched their partner. Uh, go and have abortion and not say a word because they did not have any rights. Um, these men have never forgotten that incident, never forgotten that they almost had a child there as well. They also suffered uh, from depression and um, and confusion, and especially anger, very angry at themselves for not saying anything, for, you know, for not well, feeling I mean, that I they mean... had... Uh, men have been bullied by the system, you know, to keep your mouth shut, yeah. even though that's, you know, that's yeah. the, their child. And I know the exactly. mother carries it for nine months. And, and you know, like, as, as I think anybody would tell you, they're carrying the burden. But to cut the dads off totally and and uh, and and there's a reason that dads have been cut off, because, you know, in, in most cases, dads are notorious from, you know, not bearing the responsibility and leaving, you know, poor, vulnerable uh, uh, women high and dry. And you can see why society has been pretty down on guys. OK, but not mm-hmm. every guy is an animal like that. You know, some That's of them really right. care. Not every and, and, and the That's ones exactly that really right. care, the ones that really care. They've been bullied into shutting their mouth, and and you know you can't say anything because this has got nothing about you uh, at all. Exactly. Now you, you came you came to faith in Christ long before you connected with these with Silent No More or First Place Options or yes. some of these other places. Okay, yes, what, that's what was correct. that? What, when did you become a follower of Christ? Um, it was 1992, I believe, and it was through a friend at work. So there's a big gap there. 
Yeah. There's a big gap yeah. between the time you came to the. Now I, I'm assuming if your if your story is like so many other people who you know convert to Christ, who have been addicts and 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 uh, you know drunks and abusers and you know thieves and whatever you know name your sin because we all come out of that. There's a a pretty quick progression to you know where that you're not doing that stuff anymore. Okay, and I'm assuming that's probably what happened with you. But from 1992 to to about 2011 or 2012. That's a mm-hmm. good 15, yeah. 20 years where you're in the faith community and you're yeah. carrying this whole thing of this. What was that like? Um, it was difficult. For the longest time, I worked in the nursery in our first church for 10 years. Oh and I was afraid that if anybody knew I'd had these two abortions, they may not want to let me to work in, with their babies. And yeah. I just felt wrong inside, you know. It just uh, it was... Um, now you working in uh, these shame, nurseries. Shame. You working in these church nurseries. Is this before you had your mm-hmm. kids? Yes. I would yes. think. Now, please help me here, because I'm a male. Okay, I can't relate. I got to okay. talk to you. You got to lay it out the way it is. I would think okay. you have an abortions. Okay, and yes. you've come to Christ. You've you've experienced His forgiveness mm-hmm. and everything. But I would think, my goodness, that that would be ripping me up. That would be hard. That would be that would be reminding me every Sunday when when those babies of something that I did is. Am I wrong in assuming that? What was it like? Actually, it felt like um, an honor, a blessing. Really, that I would have the opportunity to look after these little ones after what I had done, and um, I just, I just. I just love doing it, and um, it just gave me the opportunity. It's natural for a woman to to want to hold a baby and comfort a baby and and all of that. I think that's natural progression for us, and I wasn't having it. But here in, this, in church, in the nursery, I was able to do that. It was like a gift from God, you know? So I, I cherished those moments, actually. And then, of course, I started longing for one of my, my own, now the guy that you that. were living with, the guy that you were getting high with, the guy that you know mm-hmm. was supported your abortions, you ended up mm-hmm. becoming his wife. You guys ended up getting I married. Did. Now both of we you did. came both of you came to faith in Christ about the same time, didn't you? The same night. <laughs> the same night. Okay, so you both made that leap. Now uh, like yeah. but you were told you could never have kids. How mm-hmm. long? How long after? Like uh, uh, you have two grown, you know, like uh, uh, young adult children now. Um, I do. How long after you know uh, your abortions were your two children born? Um, my my children were born in ninety four and ninety five, so it was a good um, fifteen years. You know, twenty years. Yeah, fifteen years. Yes, exactly. So now how did that happen? So, was it a surprise, or or, or did you? It uh, was. It, did you do some fertility thing, or like uh, did you get prayed no, for, or like uh, no. tell me the circumstances of you having your kids? Well, to tell you the truth, it was nothing short of a miracle because uh, we didn't have the money to uh, adopt internationally, and someone in our church had come up to us and knew I was I was I was wanting to have a baby and couldn't send ask me. If, at both my husband and I uh, had we thought of adoption, and I hadn't, and my husband said, yes, I have. So she gave us the name of someone at the Children's Aid Society, and we contacted them. And within 10 months, we had our son, who was a year old, and three months after that, we had our daughter, who I held her in my arms when she was one week old. Okay, and no, even no. the... 
Uh, so you, you you just said that you went to Children's Aid Society, okay? So yes, uh, yes. so you didn't adopt though. You're telling me you had your own children after you went to first uh, Children's Aid Society. You gave birth to two ch- children. I gave birth to I didn't give birth to any children. I've never given birth to oh, two I children. Thought you, no. Melinda, I thought your two kids were 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 yours. I thought you were actually got got pregnant by them after. No, no, I did not. I've That's never news been to me. I had no again. idea because I know your kids, <laughs> and and okay. here I, I I honestly thought that those kids were your own, and I'm not pulling <laughs> your leg at all. I mean, I know yeah, they're your own. No? They're your adopted. But I thought your two children. I thought they were your biological kids. I've always thought that. And how many oh, years have I right? known you? I've known you for about five years, haven't I? Oh, at least, at least, yes. Oh my. <laughs> Well, that yes, uh, I mean, that is kids. that is testimony right there to how well oh, your is. kids fit for your family, and and yes. uh, I mean, I'm not kidding you, Melinda. I've always believed. Oh, I, I always thought that those kids were your bio- <laughs> biological because they look like you. They, I mean, I know they you know, look like <laughs> they are. They are Tibbetses through and through, yeah. boy. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, even the social worker said she had never seen anything happen like this happen. She goes, it's just, well, it was miraculous. I mean, not only is it miraculous, yeah. you were able to adopt kids that quickly, but added mm-hmm. to that, and I'm testimony to, you know, the reaction, because, I mean, to have kids that are so well-suited for your family there, I mean, like... It, it, I know. Yeah. I've always thought they were your biological kids. Isn't no, that, I, no, no I've something? never been pregnant since the well, after gonna the abortion. Around. You're going to have to joke. Guess what Pastor John said on the radio last night. Anyway, <laughs> now I, I want to get to I want to get to silent no more. OK, now, yes. you know, we've heard of March for Life campaign life and, and, uh, and yep. first first place options. There's a lot of terrific organizations out there and, and we love them for the, stand, for the stand that they take. But silent no more. That's not one that's as high profile. Tell me about silent no more. Well, Silent No More is a faith-based group um, started in Anglican Church. Okay. There's two women, um, Georgette Forney and Janet Morena, who are the co-founders of, of the uh, organization. And they are are reaching out to the non-secular world at this point. Um, it, okay, you said the non-secular world. What do you mean? The church community, the religious community, or what? No, um, just people in general right now because that's the people we've got to reach there's a a lot of people out there who don't agree with abortion but they're not part of any faith group okay so you 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 just uh, you just use the term non-secular world I've always yes. interpreted non. Oh, sec- excuse me, secular. I secular. Meant to say okay, secular. okay. I'm glad yes, I defined yes. that. So when you're saying yes, they're reaching out to you. secular world, they're reaching out to people that are yes. not part of the religious community, not part of the church community, and and, and, exactly. and you know that's and I point. know yeah. all the incredible disinformation that's out there. That is, and not only is it is it there's no information out there. The good stuff, the helpful stuff, the stuff that you know women need to hear. That you know it's going to be mm-hmm. a tough hoe to, uh, road to hoe anyway. But uh, mm-hmm. you know the best information is not only not available, in to a great degree, it's restricted, and it's and it's it censored out of there. So uh, tell me what Silent No More's mission is. What are they doing? They're reaching out to get it's information based. What what else is it? Tell me everything they do. Give me They're the trying, best. Give me the best uh, sell job, Melinda. Okay, it, we're trying to get people to realize that abortion is is not only ideology. It's not only religion, and it's not only politics. 
we're not out there to win arguments and to make people feel guilty, but we're out there with a simple plea to listen to the voices of the hundreds of thousands of men and women who regret having an abortion and the pain and the suffering and even the deaths that have happened during abortion that nobody talks about. And all the the doctors and some nurses, this is going on in the U.S., that are giving anesthesia and are not qualifying, okay? And the, um, but this is not talked about at all. Yeah, it's not policed at all because we have no abortion laws in Canada. There's only two other countries in the world. There's only two other countries in the world that have the same abortion laws that we do, which is none, is North Korea and China. That's correct. And we're we're the only free nation, we're the only free nation in the world that has no abortion laws. And I, and I don't mean to get That's political. Right. This is not a liberal or a conservative thing here, okay? Because Justin exactly. Trudeau, federally, has done absolutely nothing on the topic. But Stephen Harper did nothing either, okay? In fact, yes. he forbid yes. the discussion in the House. All these people that yes. thought he was some big champion of pro-life, well, you know, he had mm-hmm. his opportunity, but political expediency was way more important to him than, you know, standing sure. up for the right thing. And and uh, sure. uh, now, uh, silentnomore.com, that's the website, right? That's right, yes. Now, I don't have yes. time to do it right now, but I don't mind putting it out there, and we'll get it out on Twitter and on the Facebook page in the next 24 hours because I want to promote it as much as I can. If I go to silentnomore.com, what am I going to find? You're going to, you're going to find out um, about, um, for instance, uh, what we're about, uh, what we do, how we can inform people on, on all the places where, where we are active and uh, trying to participate in on even on street corners talking to people in universities on March 11th there were three buses from three different universities universities and there were more young people there than I I, I ever expected so we're trying to reach this um, a younger generation and and we are and they're seeing and there's their eyes are being open to um, what abortion really is, and well, that's you know stopping how, a heartbeat. You know how anti-pro-life, though, our university campuses are. It's horrible, yeah, and I don't understand their I, I tactics. Mean, they are, they are, our universities have turned into bastions of fascism, where you can't, there is no, yeah. there's no freedom of speech. And uh, you can say no. whatever you want as long as it is it, it it comes under the jurisdiction of the ideologies that are dominant and repressive in our in our mm-hmm. university campuses. I I mean I've had campaign life kids that have get that have gotten suspended, you know, simply for putting up yes. a table and and sharing information on a university campus, you know? Yes. I, now yes. are you I also know. are you so are you also networked with uh say you know like there's a 17-year-old kid right now who's pregnant and doesn't know what to do and mm-hmm. had no idea that this type of mm-hmm. info is available. Are you networked with mm-hmm. Safe First Place Options and some of the other you know, fine organizations yes. in the town where a, a girl who wants the truth and all the facts can actually get the facts, and not only that, but the care to shepherd her and care for her right through the, the pregnancy? Yes, that is my responsibility as the representative for the National Capital Region is to have names of all these places that, that someone like her could visit and, and find out what's out there for her. Now, so Absolutely. you are you are a rep in the organization, and and you see yourself pursuing this. Is uh, is that what what would you say are the main needs 
of Silent No More right now? What, what, what's the biggest thing that you people need? Right now, we need to let people know that we're there. We need to let people know what we do, what we can do. We need to talk to, um, we need to find, what one other thing I want to do is come election time, find out, I mean, I have, I will find out what politicians in, in all the areas uh, stand for uh, pro-life and let people know who these politicians are. And so then they go to vote, and then as they should vote, they'll know who what they're voting for. Now, Campaign Life does that, though, don't they? Uh, they sure do they... that too, but they we we will work with them in doing that. Okay, as well. So you're partnered with these organizations. You're not necessarily interested in in uh, you know uh, uh, figuring a better way to you know manufacture the wheel when there's some good wheels out there. But you're part of a a, a movement, I would suggest. So I would think that probably the best thing we can do from this conversation is here for people to go to silentnomore.com, check it out, mm-hmm. cut and paste, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the website address, put, put it on yes. your Twitter feed, put it on your Facebook, get yes. the word out there. And, uh, uh hopefully and you know, names, some, some viruses online find... aren't bad, you know, yeah. there's names and contact information for all the representatives. Our national representative uh, for Canada lives in Oshawa. Her name is Angelina Steenstra. You'll find all our names, and we have all our own uh, web pages uh, with our testimonies and information. Stories uh, like about yours. Us. Stories, yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> Melinda, I, I called you Pastor two hours. John, there's one more thing I would like to say, though. Go for it. You can get away with mind. anything here. Okay, thank you. Um, with the, the, the acceptance of abortion, there's something else that's happening, and that's the acceptance of infanticide. Yeah, um, I'm glad you brought that within up. The past, within the past 10 years, there have been 497 babies that have survived abortions and have been either strangled, uh, overdosed on drugs, left there to die, or, or a new uh, uh, pro- process, which is sticking, inserting something into their spinal cord so that they can't breathe or live anymore. And um, this is not acceptable. This is not acceptable because our criminal code says that life, if a baby is breathing on its own, it's entitled to any rights that you and I are have. And like every one of those attention. babies were every one of those were, uh, babies were breathing when they were when they yes, were murdered or, or, or left to die. Every one of them. Yes, and, exactly. And now, weren't you saying in your presentation yesterday that uh, somebody, one of the organizations, went to the RCMP or whatever and demanded yes. that the well, people actually, responsible was, for those murders be arrested? And what was the reaction? Yes, totally ignored. It was three politicians that uh, wrote letters to the RCMP telling them there should be 497 homicide investigations, and they were absolutely ignored. CBC didn't no cover that. Talk. No. It's not a popular topic. Well, we did tonight. Actually, it's a little shameful. Yeah, it's it's horrible. It's horrible. It I, is. I, I, there are no there are no words to describe uh, the horror no. of that. But uh, uh, you've exactly. ex- you've experienced that horror, and there you are in the trenches, slugging it out and trying to, you know, get to some ladies and get them the truth of what's going on there. And uh, uh, we'll be uh, keenly following your efforts, and we will get that website out as best we can. And uh, Melinda, I called Thank you, you like. 
two and a half hours ago to see if you'd be free to come on tonight. So I owe you big time for this, really big time. So you get creative. No, it's I who owe you, you because it, <laughs> when when it's a good thing because then I have to speak from my heart, right? Yeah, so yeah. that's a good thing. Well, that's yeah. I, I wouldn't want it any other way. I mean, the people that don't speak from their heart do it so well that they can pull it off, and we don't know whether we really trust them. So I like to have people that, uh, <laughs> you know, have a conscience, you know, and, and you certainly do, and I appreciate you coming on tonight. Well, I thank you for the Thanks, opportunity. You're wonderful. Okay, God bless. Yeah, oh, he you does. Too. And it was it was terrific okay. having you on. That is Melinda Tibbetts. Have you got the website? Silentnomore.com. Silentnomore.com. I'm going to tweet it out. Going to get it on the late night council Facebook page. We are now. We are now open line, open topic. Did you hear me? We are now open line, open topic. You can talk about whatever you want, whatever's on that little heart of yours. Um, but this is what we're going to do, okay? I'm going to take a bit of a break now, okay, because we went extended time with Melinda. Uh, I, I, you got to hear from uh, our buddies at uh, EMM Group, uh, who we're delighted uh, are sponsoring uh, the program. And and I got a, a bit of a lengthy tune for you. It's a little bit longer than usual, but I thought, how in the world could you play a tune after a story like that? And uh, I probably play Larry Norman's tunage more than anybody else on this program. Not because I'm a big Larry Norman fan, it's just it seems that his lyrics and what he sings about seems to be so poignant. And he's got a tune that not a lot of people have heard. And boy, does it ever describe the wombs of Canadian women. The title of the song is A Dangerous Place to Be. A Dangerous Place to Be. It's not necessarily about abortion, but it's a pretty good tune. You're going to hear that and then we'll get back to your calls and uh, another hour and oh my goodness at least an hour of good talk and uh, i'm glad you've joined us stay with us EMM Group is the authorized Integraspec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600. This is serious business.
Larry Norman. Dangerous place to be. You know, you can type in any title of any song and the artist on Google and get the lyrics immediately. Those lyrics are worth looking up. They are. Who wants to talk? 343-700-4390. It's open line, open topic. You can talk about what Melinda talked about in the last uh, half hour on the program. I got all kinds of stuff that I'm hoping to get to tonight, uh, but it's Ask the Pastor. It's always open line, open topic. 343-700-4390 in the Capital Region. That's 343 700 4390. If you're calling long distance, it's free. We've taken care of that. Isn't that wonderful? 1 That's 1 4766 And uh, I'm going to find out who's online right now. Who's on the air? Who am I talking to? Hi, it's, uh, my name is Rick. Hi, Rick. How you doing? How am I doing? I'm doing fine. What's on your mind, Rick? Well, I'd like to just talk a little bit about uh, about uh, the caller that yesterday had on around abortion. Okay. Because, um, uh, well, well, it's true. Um, I agree to an extent about the, the stigma uh, about single moms, but I don't think today it's it's quite as big as it was in the past. In fact, it's in some cases, it's it's um, really quite socially accepted as compared to past history uh, at times where there were some um, mums that were uh, had a baby out of wedlock. Uh, yeah, it's totally at times where it was considered a severe stigma and they made a good choice to have their baby. For instance, um, we have a gentleman by the name of uh, William the Conqueror who was uh, the founder, essentially, of the British Empire and most of the royal families of Europe. Um, his mom, was, uh, he was born illegitimately, and his mom made a good decision. Then there was a man uh, by the name of Alexander Hamilton, who was one of the founding fathers of America. In fact, is known as one of the greatest politicians ever in the history of America. And then a gentleman uh, that some people might know, uh, he's responsible for some interesting inventions today by the name of Leonardo da Vinci at a time where uh, an illegitimate child were generally cast aside as garbage and his mom made a really uh, good decision to go ahead and give birth. So it's uh, it's important to uh, realize that first and foremost, the the subject you covered uh, about the emotional uh, scarring that can happen to a, a, a woman that makes a, a choice to have an abortion and the responsibility of the man, that's first and foremost importance, but also the impact on the history of the world uh, that that decision can make is, is also something to be considered. Think of all those kids that have never been born. In North America, I think the numbers yeah. are up to 4.5 million now. In fact, I yeah. think in Canada... In Canada, we are we are we kill more babies than we have live births in Canada now. Yeah, it's it's, it's absolutely absolutely incredible. incredible. And uh, the the other point, uh, I think uh, I would like just just to speak out and, and challenge the men out there um, is the responsibility uh, you have as the father, the second that you decide. Uh, that you're going to uh, enter into an activity that's going to uh, result in the birth of a child, that, um, that, that, that it's your responsibility for the life of that child. Well, Rick, I, I, like, 
you know, you can talk about the activity. I mean, the best prevention for a pregnancy is to not be, you know, messing around. But when you've got a woman who finds herself pregnant, you know, if a man takes the care and realizes that's my son, that's my daughter, and I, I don't like calling them that's my baby because it's a boy or a girl, okay? It has an identity, okay? And it's not an it. It's a he and a, yeah. or a she. And uh, if a father wants to get involved, if a father wants to protect his son or daughter, he's got all the culture against him. You yeah. know that. that that's, that's true. But he's got to stand up as a man and 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 and, and make the stand. Yeah. yeah. Um, one other point that, that I'll get off the line and, and let, let others. But the one other point um, I think that needs to be addressed. Well, uh, I agree with the uh, uh, what your your guest uh, Melinda her name was. Um, but uh, the, the the political approach at at the higher level for sure at federal level is important. But I think the grassroots level at your um, school level, the, the uh, trustees and uh, the local politicians uh, putting pressure on there to provide the education and the knowledge. Yeah. Because the political agenda is one thing. Uh, knowledge, I mean, you know, the word says that the, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Yeah. Uh, if there's pressure put on and, and, um, I've experienced, there was a situation when my, my, my children were in middle school, um, there was a situation of part of the curriculum that I was able to put pressure on and, and uh, have it adjusted. And um, I think you can deal at the grassroots level, at the, at the school level, and at the, uh, the trustee level as well, the principals of the school. Rick, the trustees my, my own personal belief is that we are never going to see change from the top down there's never going to be a political solution to this uh you know this some people i think it's accurate to call it a holocaust this butchering of innocent life okay i don't think it's gonna we're gonna see change unless it is the grassroots unless it's a groundswell of people coming to the realization what are we doing you know i mean this is insane and uh, because our politicians our you know what politicians are like in north america rick They'll say anything to get elected, and if the grassroots is changing, yeah. and if their and if their attitudes are changing, you'll see politicians jump pretty quick. You know, they love power and they love influence. But if if people knew how much power they have as voters, if they realized, you know, that these guys will say anything to get elected, so make them earn their pay. You know, make them do what they're supposed to do. But the problem is, in 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 uh, in, uh, in free countries, you know, people don't realize how powerful their vote is, and they're and they're lazy. They're intellectually and socially lazy. They let charlatans and they let themselves be ruled by people who are only the only thing they care about is greed and, and power. That's all they care about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like a, you ba- know, a baby's life and the plight, the baby's life and the foundation of civilization, which is family. I don't care about that because it's not politically expedient and it doesn't bring short term power, short term gain. They have no thought of the long-term implications of their actions whatsoever. Anyway, Rick, good talking yeah, to you. Thanks absolutely. for calling in. Good having you on. Okay. Bye-bye. 343-700-4390. That's 343-700-4390. Who's on the line now? Who am I talking to? Hello, you're uh, on the Mikey, air. Mikey, actually. Who's this? Hi, it's M- Mikey. Hi, Mike. How you doing? 
Not too bad, you. You got some thoughts for us here on, on this topic top. or whatever? What, what, what's on your mind? Well, what, on what basically what Melinda was talking, I was in a marriage where we couldn't have kids for oh, almost boy. 20 years. Okay. And I watched friends basically use that as birth control a couple times. Yeah. And then in confiding to my wife that couldn't have kids, not realizing, you know, the emotional heartbreak of us already not having because we had two but we miscarried like we weren't supposed uh, to have kids she was yeah. on like medication diabetes all kinds of stuff like that so we watched her friends do that and we're like you know you know that we can't have that must have ripped why would you even tell out. us like if you're gonna well and we're christians too and like so we we're trying to do that uh, i had walked away still by then but and it's just, then the other thing I wanted to add now, it's hard to have a Christian lifestyle. There's people in the news now, you believe in the Easter bunny, and this is how Easter is. And if not, we're taking your kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're being doctored what to do when you adopt. So even if I wanted to adopt as a single Christian man, oh, I'm at a disadvantage it. because I have to do what they want me to do with it. The system is against you. Yeah, I can't raise it to school, you know. And, I can't and the system, do what I want to do. The system you know? has changed because... How come other people's kids can play in school, but mine can't, you know? When I was raised that way with my childhood. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, And that's but, one of the, my favorite things I always tell my family. I said, you know, the more we take away from the school, the worse it's going to get. Well, there wasn't I, shootings back but, in my this day. Is, we had violent movies and music and everything. Yeah, but, but, but Mike, 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 this has happened... Because you got too many people that don't care, you got too many people that you know uh, they're far more interested in their RSPs. They're far more interested in who the senators are playing tonight. They're far more interested in uh, what they're going to be doing this weekend. And 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 we've got the we've well, got the, 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 the stuff that's against the grain. You're crazy nowadays. Yeah, I know. I know. And when I even but, share my face with a lot of people, it's a mixed reaction. You're either going to be laughed at, or you're going to be like, "Wow!" And then Mikey, if they're going to laugh at me, they're going to laugh at me for. If they're going to laugh at you and me, I hope they're laughing at us for all of the right reasons. Okay, our Lord says all men are going to hate you because of me, and this is a perfect example here. Okay, but uh, it wasn't Christ that said it, but I think it was Edmund Morris or Sir Edmund Burke, one of them. Okay, and and I've used this quote often: "All evil needs is for good people to do nothing." And, you know, I don't yeah. think I can save the world, okay? I don't think I can, you know, uh, 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 cause a spiritual revolution. But you know what? I know some people. I've got a bit of a platform. Well, I've got some relationships. And, you know, I can make a difference in my sphere of influence. And you can, too. And everybody within the sound of my voice could do that, too. And you got enough people saying, you know, I'm not going to take this anymore. I have to do the Christ-like thing. I have to do the compassionate thing. These people that are falling prey to this deception, and they're not getting all the information, and, you know, we've got an explosion in in, in people that are are, are battling anxiety and depression, and nobody's taking into account the spiritual implications of our actions. Of course we live in a basket case mm-hmm. society. The way we live, violating our conscience, you violate your conscience long enough, your conscience bites you back. And that's what's going on culturally. Yeah. Good talking to you, Mike. Good Thank having you, you on. Have Thank a good you. one. Thanks for calling in, buddy. 343-700-4390. That's 343-700-4390. 
one 562 is the long-distance line. That's one 562 I haven't gotten any usable emails yet, you know. Got to be under six lines. JC at LateNightCouncil.com. That's JC at LateNightCouncil.com. And I haven't got any Twitters I can use yet, any tweets yet. So you can go for the Twitter uh, feed at JW Council. I have put out uh, Silent No More's, uh, uh, um, I guess it's a Earl, okay, their website. It's on the Twitter uh, feed now. It's on the Late Night Council Facebook page. You want to check them out, and I'm encouraging you to do that. And uh, give them as much run and as much promo as you can. And uh, uh, we're gonna we're gonna take a bit of a break here. And uh, I'm gonna be right back. And uh, should we talk about Irma? I think we probably should, shouldn't we? Okay. And I probably need a pretty good tune to to to, to set up the whole uh, uh, you know discussion on Irma. Because yeah, there's I think there's a biblical perspective on it. There's some really there's some really, really interesting insight that some uh, some spiritual leaders have been uh, putting on the web that I want to expose you to. Nobody's talking like these guys. And, and you know, and I'm not going to deal with the, where's God when disaster strikes? Well, man, uh, somebody put out an article, and I've already tweeted it out there. Some of you have read it already. Boy, what a great response to that question, because you hear that criticism all the time. So I'm going to get a bit of a music break, and, and maybe maybe we'll play uh, uh, Jeff Healy and Jimmy Rogers. Have you ever heard of them? Jeff Healy and Jimmy Rogers, two blues artists. Jeff Healy, Canadian. Of course, he was blind, terrific guitarist. He's, he died now with complications with his health that also uh, caused his blindness. Jimmy Rogers, a legendary blues guy. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Irma, if you let me, when we come back. So this is this is Jimmy Rogers and Jeff Healy. Are you ready for this? This is Blow, wind, blow, okay? Right back after that. Didn't have my baby by my side Well, when the sun rose this morning I didn't have my baby by my side When I didn't know where she was She was out with some other guy Down the moon looked lonesome Shining down through the trees
Throw my baby back to me Hey, blow wind, blow wind Blow my baby back to me Man, if I don't hurry up and find her My heart's gonna be in misery Hurricane Harvey or, or, or Hurricane Irma like uh, reunited any couples, you know, by blowing them back together again. But yeah, probably not. That's uh, uh, Jeff Healy and, and uh, Jimmy Rogers. Blow wind, blow. Uh, the latest on Irma. This is not a news program, folks. It is live though, unless you're, of course you're listening on podcast. It's 16 minutes after 10 uh, Eastern time, and uh, uh, the latest on Irma is that it's it's been degraded down to a Category Two. Uh, tropical storm, which is huge news. That is huge. Okay, that's. I mean, it was as high as five when it was still out in the Atlantic, and it has definitely gotten weaker. Maybe that's our prayers, eh? You figure? I'm not one of these guys that you know. Well, our, our thoughts and prayers—they're with you. Listen, when I say my thoughts and prayers, prayer is a powerful thing, very, very powerful. And if people, you know, pray with faith, and if they're praying to God. The real God, things happen. And I'm, I'm simple enough to believe that, you know, like uh, 
And what did Jesus say? Jesus said to his disciples, if you, if you don't change and become like this little kid here in your faith, you're never going to see the kingdom of God, okay? You've got to believe like a kid. Now, that really is unsettling for some people because people are, you know, naturally control freaks. They want to have control over everything. They want to be on top of everything. And, and uh, you know, that doesn't fly in the kingdom of God. That doesn't, it doesn't work when you, when you come into a fellowship with Christ. I caught an article on the whole Irma thing, and there's all sorts of people writing on it. This guy's named Jamie Ayton. And uh, the title of the article, and I posted it, you can read the whole thing. I don't have time to read all of it because it's lengthy. Three Disaster Myths. I think this is on Christianity Today's uh, website. Three Disaster Myths that only compound the devastation. I mean, it's bad enough that Irma and Harvey are are hitting, uh, uh, you know, has have hit Texas, and now it's coming up Florida. And apparently, Jose is 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 warming up in the bullpen, waiting to you know get into the game. It's off the coast of the Atlantic, and it's moving towards uh, uh, the southern United States as well. And uh, the disasters are bad enough, but people of faith, you know, specifically, you know, if you have faith in Christ, you're supposed to have a handle on God and creation and why God does things. And, uh, you know, a lot of people that follow Christ, sometimes you're faced with questions that you don't always have the answers to. Like, uh, and here's a guy who wrote an article on what these type of disasters can teach a church. And there's some understandings about disaster and, and death and carnage that, you know, if you, if, you, you know, if you buy into false perceptions and conceptions, it only makes it worse. And he, and he came up with three myths, okay? And I, and I want to share them with you. Three disaster myths that only make it worse when a community is going through, you know, uh, what they're going through. And the first one is, and you've heard this one before, okay? The odds of a disaster impacting my church or community are slim, okay? Hardly any chance at all. Now, those of us that are here in the capital region, we all remember our big disaster, and it happened a year before I got I moved here, but the whole continent knew about our ice storm. And there was some suffering that went on. There were some close calls. It was not a nice place to be here in this region. So we have kind of tasted of that. You know, and you cannot minimize the suffering that people went through, uh, and people lost homes and went without food, and uh, uh, but people pulled together big time. But I want to hear you hear, uh, read to you what Jimmy Ayton said about this. He's speaking to you know the faith community here. So you people that aren't of the faith community, just hold on here and kind of bear with me. When a massive flood submerged the building of a pastor's church, he's talking about this. Uh, uh, a, a, a guy in Baton Rouge. The church is called the Healing Place, okay? When it when a, a massive flood submerged the building that the church was planning to remodel and launch as a new compass, a campus under five feet of water last summer in Baton Rouge Healing Place, church campus pastor Ryan Frith described the experience as shocking and surreal. Now, listen to what he says here. Never would we have imagined a flood like this happening. How many times have you heard that when you're seeing footage of people that are being interviewed in the middle of a disaster? Nobody on our team had done disaster relief before or had even worked in a warehouse, you know, with sending supplies out, you know, like Samaritan's Purse. A lot of people that listen to this program are familiar with Samaritan's Purse. I've been involved with them for, oh, decades, okay? And they, you know, put together Christmas packages for kids in third world countries all over the world. I think it's up to two and a half million that they send out every year now. And so there's big warehouses where these things are put together and churches participate in everything. So that's the type of thing he's dev- he's de- describing here. Nobody had ever worked with disaster le- uh, work. They haven't even worked in a warehouse supplying disaster, uh, uh, you know, uh, workers. But after the water receded, 
is what happened. They were able to turn their church campus into a distribution center, cooking meals, handing out fresh groceries. For a month and a half, they were able to reach thousands of people a day through all of the activity on the property. We truly got to see God take all things and work them together for the good. Our plan was to start having church, but God's plan was for us to be the church. Do you understand the difference there? Okay. And boy, you know, we churches that are so caught up in doing church, much better and much more biblical to to be the church, okay? Here's the second myth. Disasters don't discriminate. Have you ever heard that? Well, you know, they, they hit everybody. Well, you know, Aiden's got a good thing to say here, okay? There is some truth to this. No matter who you are or how much money you have, disasters can impact anyone. However, however, disasters do not affect all people equally. Now, this is very poignant. I'm, I'm glad somebody's saying this. They disproportionately impact the socially and economically vulnerable. Disasters are one of the biggest moral and biblical justice issues facing the church and society. That's his opinion. I don't know whether I you know, disagree with him. I think he's on to something there. I think disasters are an incredible opportunity for the church to be very, very biblical, the way it reaches out, the way it ministers to people, okay? And disasters are going to happen. And when you buy into the myth, well, you know, it affects everybody. Uh-uh. How many times have you seen tornadoes blow through? Where do they always go? Tornadoes go to mobile home parks. And that's usually people living there with no income and not a lot of insurance. And they are devastated. People that don't feel, that don't live in secure homes, people that cannot protect themselves, people that cannot get out of the way or don't have a place to go, they usually get pasted the worst. You can't get away from that. And yet what he's saying here is disasters, everybody's saying, where's God, where's God? Disasters, if you're the church, they end up being one of the most wonderful opportunities to display Christ-likeness. They, they end up being wonderful opportunities to minister to people that are suffering and they're hurting. I really think he's onto something. I do. People become vulnerable for a wide variety of circumstances, ranging from age to job status. The most vulnerable and undeserved underserved also tend to live in less prepared areas and lack the resources to rebuild what disasters destroy. Thus, it normally takes them longer to recover than people with more resources and social connections. According to the Conservation of Resources Stress Model, disasters cause spirals of loss. It takes more resources, time, money, energy, and social support to recover. And for the most vulnerable, this is a debt from which they usually are never free. In fact, they're paying for, you know, the cost of their disaster they went through for the rest of their lives. Well, unless, you know, churches and can step in and make a difference and be Jesus to people who are suffering. Myth number three, myth number three, there's not enough time or this isn't the right time for my church to start thinking about a disaster ministry. Have you ever heard that term before? You probably haven't, have you? Yeah, we got a great disaster ministry in our church. <laughs> Every time the preacher preaches, it's a disaster, and we kind of respond, no, no. I think he's on to something here. I think this is a good discussion to have to have the next time you get together with the leadership of your church because the opportunities to minister to the suffering, you know? I'm thinking of Times Square Church that I talk about often, and I've been to Times Square Church, and uh, their pastor, Carter Conlon, uh, you know, came up and, and uh, preached the, uh, I think it was the 100th anniversary of the church I was on staff in, in uh, you know, a few years ago. 
Times Square Church founded by David Wilkerson, who founded Teen Challenge and wrote The Cross of the Switchblade. Amazing church. And they, as much as anybody, probably more than anybody, when uh, uh, 9-11 hit and Manhattan was just devastated by that, they were well prepared. They jumped into operation. They were the people that were holding IV bags and helping, you know, uh, 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 the fire people and the and and the the cops, you know, uh, bringing them food and bringing them supplies and 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 uh, you know, working day and night for weeks after that happened, just trying to put Manhattan back together again. And you know, and they weren't doing it for credibility. They weren't doing it to promote their cause. They were doing it because they knew that's what Jesus would do. And they have gained, you know, just a, a sterling and a respectful reputation in Manhattan because of that, because everybody knows, hey, that's a church that isn't just trying to, you know, swell their numbers and, you know, uh, have a political impact or whatever. That's a church that really cares, and they put out for people. Aiton goes on here, the church is a place where survivors can find true hope, meaning, and long-term spiritual care, and usually that, that's what they're desperately in need of really in need of. I mean, you're going to hear them saying for decades after, and they do say this about Times Square Church in in, uh, uh, Manhattan, you know, they were there for us. When everybody else was either panicking or figuring out how to respond, hopefully that's going to be your church where, you know, when something like this happens, you know, people are going to be able to say say of you, you know, um, um, they were there for us. They weren't experts, but they were there. Here's a line I use in my church all the time. I love this. The Bible says that we're supposed to bear one another's burdens, okay? It does not say we're supposed to solve each other's problems. It does not say we're supposed to have all the answers. It says we're supposed to bear one another's burdens. What does that mean? That means we just make it a little bit easier for people because we're there, okay? We're not always the smartest. We're not always, you know, the most in touch. But boy, I'll tell you, you know, when you can bring a meal over to somebody, you know, when you can be the person that's standing in the gap to alleviate suffering, man, it can make a, it can make a lifetime worth of difference in somebody's life. It really can. God has called his people. He, he closes the article with this. God has called his people to care for those in need. And where there are disasters, there is an immediate and pressing need. His commandment to bring good news and healing to those who suffer is clear. As Christians, we're created in the image of a loving, merciful, and gracious God whose Son taught us to open our hearts and to use our talents in service of the kingdom. If we start thinking about disasters differently, it just might help you and your church to be more effectively, to more effectively reduce harm during a disaster, save lives, extend your ministry to those who need the help the most. And I, you know what? My personal feeling on that, I think God is with people that step into the gap like that. I think that people that commit themselves to, you know, to, to the giving of themselves to, 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 to relieve suffering like that, I think that's where the heart of God is. I really do. And I think there's a, there's a, a mystical, and I don't mean to get spookier, but I think there is an unlocking, an unleashing of, of, of the power of God and, and, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. To really, really make a difference, to take it even further than the efforts of people that have committed themselves to doing that. Something for y'all to think about. Yeah, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna play, I'm gonna play a tune now. Okay, I'm gonna play "Flirting with Disaster." You ever heard the term "Flirting with Disaster"? It's by a band that everybody thought was gonna be the next Leonard Skinnerd. 
a band that everybody thought was going to carry the torch and be the southern rock band. Well, they only had one big hit, really, and it was this one, Flirting with Disaster. But, boy, not a bad tune. Pretty good. And this is a live version, so you're going to get the crowd going kind of nuts here, and, and I'm going to take a breather. And, you know, we got to hear from EMM first. We're going to hear from EMM, and then I'm going to treat you to a flirting with disaster. If you don't like it, well, call in and yell at me and tell me, John, where are you getting your tunes? My goodness. Or if you really like it, you can call in and say, John, that's why I listen to your show. Your tunes are better than you are. You know what? Whatever, okay? We'll be right back after the message and flirting with disaster. Stay with us. EMM Group is the authorized Integraspec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600.
So, so what an appropriate tune to play. A southern rock band playing Flirtin' with Disaster from live concert footage that was recorded in Texas. Boy, oh boy, I'll tell you. You can tell a lot of thought goes into this broadcast, can't you? Welcome back. 343-743-90. That's 343-743-90. That's Molly Hatchett flirting with disaster, the live version. I, you know, I have this debate with my kids all the time, and my kids are, oh, my youngest is 28 and my oldest is 33, okay? And, and I like live music way better than studio versions of songs. I do. I, I, I just... The quality is never as good, but the passion's there. They're alive, you know? I Always partial to live music. Live versions are always better. My kids don't always agree. They like the studio versions, though. I don't know. Kids today, what do they know? Oh, John, you're being silly. Yeah, I am. Uh, 343-743-90, whatever's on your mind. 343-743-90. Man, I've only got like 25 minutes left. i got so much stuff I want to get to. 343-743-90, but your calls are going to take precedence, my goodness, and and uh, uh, your emails, your tweets, whatever. Uh, 1-844-562-4766 is the long-distance line. That's 1-844-562-4766. Oh, my buddy Marine in Toronto, she's emailing me. This is good. I, I, sometimes Marine just, you know, says the right thing. So this is kind of fun. What's with... <laughs> I should do my Emily Latella voice when I read her uh, email here because it just it, it just reminds me. Do you remember uh, uh, Gilda Radner on Saturday Night Live when they would do Weekend Updates? She would play this character called Emily Mattella, uh, Latella, and she would sit and do a, a, an editorial. I'm not going to do it. I do, maybe someday. Anyway, well, here's Marine's email. What's with these guys standing out in the middle of a hurricane? Winds whipping around them up to their knees in water and nearly falling down holding a microphone. Like, seriously, is society that pathetic that we expect them to have to be there for the sake of entertainment? Their lives are in danger. Hello? Well, Maureen, and it's probably something you already know, you know, the, the existence of television and radio news is not to inform you, not to make sure that you know what's going on. It's, it's there to make money, okay? And it's all about ratings. They want to get their news shows rated higher than somebody else. Because if their ratings are higher, they can charge higher ad rates. And if they charge higher ad rates, they make more money. So that's good television. People want to see reporters, you know, risking their lives in the middle of a hurricane. Now, if you're on Twitter or Facebook, you've probably seen, have you seen this viral video? And it's not of a Hurricane Harvey or Irma. This happened about a year or two ago. Oh, it's unbelievable footage. In fact, if you go online on YouTube and type in reporter gets hit by fish, oh, it's just brilliant. This lady, this female reporter's in a raincoat reporting in the middle of a hurricane, and there's water flowing up, and she's almost being blown away, and a fish gets blown out of the water and smacks her right in the face. A good-sized, two-foot-long, oh, it looks like a carp or something, and she gets just hammered by a fish. I mean, there's no way you could, you could stage that or rehearse it. It's absolutely brilliant. So that's something for you to hunt on, on YouTube if, you, if you're so inclined. Uh, somebody tweeted out uh, that the Southern Baptists are really miffed that Hurricane Irma didn't ask the right committees before rearranging the churches. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We should probably have something that goes like that in the background. 
I think that's funny, don't you? Oh, maybe not. Okay, call in and yell at me. And then uh, you might have seen uh, this uh, cartoon that I posted. And, and if you go to the Facebook page or, or the Twitter feed, uh, there's a picture of Jesus standing there. And it's, it's, it looks like it's been, you know, drawn by a, a 10-year-old. You know, not a 4-year-old, but maybe a 10 or 11-year-old. And there's Jesus standing there. His arms are wide open. And he says this. And this is pretty good. This is in the speech balloon. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, developing task forces and strategic plans and surveying the congregation in order to craft a succinct and memorable mission statement easily communicated on bumper stickers, website homepages, T-shirts, and coffee mugs. Very good. Not bad. And uh, for those of you that are listening from the States and... uh, and across in Europe, because I'm looking at my screen here, and there's people all over the world listening right now. Um, you know that, well, maybe you don't know. Maybe you're getting this news for the first time. Our prime minister here, uh, Rolling Stone loves him, okay? All the, he is the dream prime minister. All those people that have been smoking dope and, you know, and, uh, you know, writing, uh, you know, uh, articles with four-letter words in them and, uh, you know, would just love to see the downfall of society. They love our prime minister. They adore him. And, you know, he was on the cover of Rolling Stone about a month ago, and uh, I think the caption was, can we have him as our leader? You know, yeah. If, you know, if you're, if you're working for Rolling Stone and have been writing about, you know, decadence and sex and, and sleeping around and, and, you know, doing dope all the time, yeah, you, you'd probably like this guy, okay? And so it's no secret that one of the, thing, one of the reasons why Rolling Stone just loves our prime minister is because he's wanting to make pot legal, okay? So this is uh, from Canadian Press Today. This is today's Canadian Press. And you've probably heard this on some of the other uh, radio stations, and and, uh, I do want to comment on it somewhat. Ontario plans to sell marijuana in as many as 150 stores run by the province's Liquor Control Board after the federal government legalizes its recreational use next summer. I wonder what I wonder what kind of you know buzzword they're going to use. That's a buzzword. That's fitting. What buzzword will be used? What buzz phrase will be used to describe the summer of 2018 when pot becomes legal in Canada? Okay, the summer of double vision. I don't know. The the summer of uh, banging into things. The summer of people not being able to you know to hold a conversation properly. I don't know. Okay. The stores will operate separately from the Liquor Control Board of Ontario's current outlets, and the province expects all the stores to be open by 2020. (laughs) Well, there won't be much 2020 vision, but they're going to be open by 2020. The LCBO, that's the Liquor Control Board of Ontario, will also sell marijuana online through a government-run website. Oh, my goodness. So if you can buy it on Amazon, that means a drone is probably going to, you know, deliver it. Now, when I say drone, I'm not talking about somebody that's so high he can't even recognize you and you wouldn't want to put him behind the wheel of a car. And, you know, he just keeps ringing the bell all day even after you've answered the door. No, I'm talking about those drones that, you know, that are like uh, they fly around, you know, and, and they deliver to your door. So just think of that. you got to get pot delivered to your door. The move will see marijuana dispensaries, which have sprung up around the province, closed. Do you hear that? All these pot stores that are out, you know, that they're, they're giving city councils fits, they're all going to be closed. This, I guess it wasn't a very lucrative business to get into, was it? The sale of marijuana will be respe- restricted to those 19 and older. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> hear that? Don't worry. Marijuana is going to be restricted to those 19 and older. Yeah, and I'm sure the 14 and 15 and 16-year-olds, oh, yeah, there's no way they're going to get a hold of the pot, right? Just like there's no way they can get a hold of the booze either. 
So only 19 years and older. Good luck with that. The federal government introduced legislation in April with the goal of legalizing and regulating the use of recreational pot by July 1st, 2018. Now, some of you, and I've gotten in trouble for my stand on pot before, okay, because, and people get mad at me, but I, I, if you want to call in and fight with me, that's fine. I think pot should be legalized. I do, okay? Not because I'm an advocate of recreational drug use. I'm not, okay? But if we have legal alcohol, there's no way we can have illegal pot because alcohol is a bigger scourge on society than, than pot could ever be. When was the last time you ever heard of somebody beating up their wife and kids because they were high on marijuana? When was the last time you heard of a violent crime taking place because somebody was high on pot? Doesn't happen. What happens when you're high on pot? The worst thing you can do is sit in your basement, play video games, eat Doritos, okay? And, and stare at wallpaper all day. It mellows you out. It turns you into a loser. It turns you into somebody that's, you know, very unproductive. And I'm sure there will be thousands of man hours lost in productivity in our economy because of pot. But still, it's not as bad. It's not as bad as the scourge of alcohol on our, on our culture. And you can't have, you can't have legal booze if, if, if you don't have legal pot. Now... I used to be very, very much against the legalization of pot because I know it's a gateway drug. It's not as big a gateway drug as alcohol is. Alcohol is the gateway drug. And don't give me this garbage that alcohol is a drug. you darn right it's a drug, okay? It's just more socially acceptable, particularly for people who are 40 and 50 and over, okay? They don't want to think of themselves as drug addicts. Listen, if you're a drunk, you may as well be a drug addict, Okay? And it's not the legality of the problem. It's the demand for it. Why do we have a demand for alcohol? Why do we have a demand for recreational drug use? Because people's lives are dull. Because people can't cope with culture. Because they want to escape. Because Jesus said, and here comes the punchline. Here comes the biblical perspective. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus said in this world you will have trouble. Life is a, the typical word they use for a female dog. It is. I don't know how people cope with Christ, without Christ. When Jesus said that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, and that's what culture is doing to us, okay? In the same breath, he said, but I have come, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. That's why Ephesians said, look, don't be drunk with wine, okay? Instead, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because everybody's got a desire to get high. Everybody likes having fun. Why do you think the amusement park industry is a multi-billion dollar industry? My son works for Disney, okay? So when we go to California, I can go to Disneyland for free anytime I want. Do you know what? You know how much it costs to get into Disneyland just for a day now? Just for one day. You want to go to Disneyland in California. I'm not even talking Disney World, which is even bigger in Florida. You want to go to Disneyland in California for one day. For one day. 125 bucks US. And the lineups are on as long as they've ever been. They are printing money. Why? Because everybody loves getting high. Everybody loves a buzz. Everybody likes to have a good time. Oh, that's different, John. No, it isn't. We like thrills. And drugs are a cheap thrill. Drugs are a coping mechanism. Drugs are for people who don't have the joy of Jesus Christ. John, what are you talking about? Listen, Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a great wedding feast. 
that a king gave for his son, okay? Now, that loses a little in translation. And, you know, it's difficult for us to conceive of that because when we hear wedding feasts, we think prim and proper and spend a lot of money and a lot of ritual and people got all these wonderful clothes. Listen, have you ever been to an Italian wedding? Have you ever been to a Greek wedding, a Lebanese wedding, a Mediterranean wedding? That captures a little bit of what Jesus was talking about. When you went to a wedding, and even you even get a little bit of it today, okay, they are blowout parties like you wouldn't believe. I mean, families remortgage their homes so that little Rosa can have the perfect wedding. Well, triple that in Christ's time. If you were invited to a wedding, I mean, it would be much more in our vernacular, in our modern-day understanding of what a wedding is, okay? It would be much more apropos if Jesus had said this, the kingdom of God, in other words, being in a relationship with God, being in a place where you're in a right place with God, the kingdom of God is like the greatest blowout party you've ever been to in your life. And oh my goodness, if you miss it, you're going you're gonna to be on the outs for the rest of your life. That's what Christ offers. That's, what it, that's the meaning, the purpose, the joy, the thrills that he, that, they, that he meant when he said, I have come that you have life and have it to the fill. And if people don't have Christ, because we're hardwired to be in relationship with our creator, we were designed to reach our potential. We were designed to have all our thrill buttons pushed by being in a relationship with God. And if you don't have that, you're going to try and fill it with something. You're going to fill it with money. You're going to fill it with sex. You're going to fill it with drugs. You're going to fill it with alcohol. You're going to fill it with sports. You're going to fill it with, look at, we are worshipers. And if we don't worship the God that we are created to worship, we're going to worship something else. Maybe we'll worship ourselves. Like the interviewer that's the little kid, you know, the teenager, when there was some type of flood, you know, and they were trying to get some background on this kid because there were church groups helping. He said, what religion are your parents? He said, my mom's Catholic. My dad's NFL. Worship is not lighting a candle or bound down to God. Worship is anything you give your devotion to. And every God that the world has to offer, okay, is going to take something from you. It's going to cost you. You're going to spend your body. You're going to spend your money. And there's always strings attached. The only God that we can worship where we are actually, where we get something out of it, where it doesn't cost, where we are actually fulfilled and it is healthier and it leads to not only, you know, life to the full in this life, but eternal life is the one God that we are hardwired to connect with. And that's our creator. Blaise Pascal, one of the greatest mathematicians that ever lived back in the 1700s, said it as eloquently as any Bible verse. He said, inside everybody is a God-shaped vacuum. And only God can fill it. And until you connect with God, until you, you, you understand what that's, what that's all about, you're going to be searching and you're never going to be satisfied. Like John Paul Getty, okay? One of the richest, first, I remember as a kid, the first time I ever read the Guinness Book of World Records. I think I picked it up in 1969 in my school in Windsor, Ontario, Ivor Chandler Public School, okay? Guinness Book of World Records, never saw it before. And I'm looking at this, like, wow, look at all this stuff in here. Richest man in the world, John Paul Getty. So I became a fan of the Guinness Book of World Records. From 1969 until about, oh, 75, 76, 74, around there, he was the richest man, a multi-billionaire. Had five marriages. When the last one failed, he was quoted as saying, I would give my entire fortune for a marriage that worked. Because he was trying to fill that longing, he was trying to fill that 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 desire. He, you know, he worshipped women, worshipped many, worshipped uh, money. You know, tried to fill everything in his life that God-shaped vacuum. Tried to fill it with everything the world had to offer. I was never satisfied. That's what Christ means. Thief comes to steal, kill, destroy, rip you off. I have come that you have life, 
and you have it more abundantly. That's what it means. That's the meaning of it right there. NFL opened this weekend. Well, John, boy, you go from talking about worshiping God to sports. Well, you know, you're going to like this twist here. It's appropriate. Philadelphia Eagles quarterback Carson Wentz explained one lie about the Christian faith that Satan wants people to believe while sharing his faith at a live event held at Eastern University of Pennsylvania last week. The 24-year-old Wentz, who was in his second season with the Eagles, and they beat the Washington Redskins today, good opening game for them. Wentz, along with Eagles tight end Trey Burton and offensive lineman Stefan Wisniewski, were interviewed uh, on stage at this event with about 2,000 people, okay? He said, I think talking specifically about that and being saved by works is obviously a lie, but it's a lie that a lot of people believe. It's a lie just in our, it's a lie just in our culture. I know for me as a man, even when I was a kid with sports and anything I did, I was going to work my tail off to earn what I got. That's how I was wired. That's how the world kind of instills this value, so to speak. You to work, work, work and you earn it. And that's kind of what I thought. I'd pray, I'd go to church, I'd do this and that, and I'm like, that's great. I'm a good person. I did the right thing, so I'm going to be saved naturally. That's what I thought. And listen to what he says here. That's the lie that the devil wants you to believe. Wentz also shared that the Bible verse that really changed his perspective on this whole thing was Ephesians 2, 8 and 10, which says this, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, he recited. So when I learned about his grace, he says, and learned about how my view of Christianity was really just flipped on its head because, you see, Christianity is the only religion in the world that you can't earn heaven. You can't earn any afterlife. You can't earn reincarnation or wherever it is that other people believe. Christianity says it's done. Jesus already did it. He took it all for you. And this is what Paul is saying here in Ephesians. See, we're not saved by our actions. But our actions come out of our faith. According to Wentz, the notion that people are saved through works and not a relationship with Christ is a misconception that a lot of people have. It's so easy to get caught up in doing good and thinking that I'm good enough. But without Jesus, none of us are. This is you know, Carson Wentz talking, not me. But I happen to agree with him on this. Wentz has not been afraid to share his faith on Christ on social uh, faith in Christ on social media with others. In the interview, Wentz was asked to explain how he handles criticism he faces for expressing his faith publicly. He says, if you love something enough, you're going to want to talk about it. If you love your wife, if you love your job, if you love whatever, it is that you're, it, it, that's what you're passionate about. You're going to talk about it, he said. If you love Jesus, you're going to want to talk about him. You should tell the world about him. You should share that truth. And so there's going to be persecution. There's going to be haters. You just have to stay true to him, and ultimately, that's what it's all about. Not bad for a football player. You know, and these, these athletes, when they get shared their faith, people expect them to be theologians and have it all together. You know, I, not bad, Carson. Pretty good. I'm not a big Eagles fan, but I'm a Jesus fan, and you and I seem to be on the same team. And Appreciate what you had to say. Good for you. I know some of you cynical types are thinking, yeah, well, it's easier for him to serve God. The guy's making millions of dollars, and everything's going his way. And Listen, I've known a lot of professional athletes in my day. And what they have done to get where they are would kill most people. Their dedication, their discipline, their commitment to their goal is, it's, well, that's why so few people make it. They have to sacrifice everything. And to me, when an athlete turns to Christ, that is quite a, uh, that is quite a miracle. 
because these guys that are paid big bucks, remember it was Jesus that said, it's harder for a rich man to go through and get to heaven than a camel to go through an eye of a needle. For some of these athletes that have worked so hard and have signed the pro contract and have made all this money, when they turn to Christ, boy, to me that's that blows me away because they've realized even though they've got all the money, everything this world could offer, it's not enough. It doesn't satisfy what Blaise Pascal called that God-shaped vacuum on the inside. And they're smart enough to realize, nah, I need something more. This isn't enough. And I would suggest that they found it, that they have. Three four three seven hundred forty three ninety. You think we can squeeze in another call before we got a call tonight? Boy, we're running out of time. You better get pounding those keys pretty quick. one 562 4766 JC at com. I'm giving you one last kick at the cat there. I was thinking of a tune, you know? And I think we might go out to this tonight. <laughs> We've been, I don't, I, you know, I, I hope this doesn't sound too, you know, goofy on the other side of the air here. Because I, I, you know, it's really fun. It really is. And, and, uh. For me to be able to do the tunes and not be, you know, encumbered by a schedule and and uh, uh, commercials or news at the top of the hour, bother. It really is an, an enjoyable experience, and uh, the whole thing of pot being legalized. You know, I was looking for old, you know, Cheech and Chong clips and you know, goofy pot songs, and I thought, yeah, how appropriate is that? And ask the pastor. So, but I did find a tune to go out to tonight. Okay. And I'm sure, you know what, I, I'm sure that uh, there's going to be pressure that once pop becomes legal in Canada, you may even have a change of the national anthem, okay? Because I think I think pot's going to affect people to the point that I, I do not like what I see coming down, okay? And I know you can't stop it because people want it, and I think it's absolutely hypocritical of our culture if you're going to have booze be legal and, and not pot. And I should have mentioned it earlier. And, and what made me change on my, uh, my opinion is, is I did some research. Portugal. Some of you know that Portugal, about, oh, about 10 or 12 years ago, they made all their recreational jugs legal. All of them. Okay? And in the first six, months to, first six to 18 months of making pot and, and, and some of the other you know, harder stuff legal, okay, they had spikes in crime. They had cultural chaos almost. I mean, it was anarchy. But you know what happened after 10 years? And, and, and there's been a number of countries that have gone this way, and they've all had the same stats. They don't even have a drug problem in Portugal anymore. I mean, drug recreational drug use has dramatically decreased to the point where it's it, it's far far less than when it was when you know all these drugs were legal because it, the stigma of of you know because it became available people immersed themselves on it and saw how empty it was and how stupid it was to give your time and your energy to this that they smartened up isn't that something? So. I'm sure that there may be a bit of an adjustment phase where people are going to be shaking their heads and think, what have we done? But I think it's going to be okay in the end. And believe me, I'm one of those guys that if I thought something was going to be wrong, I'd be, I'd be yelling and screaming about it. But in the meantime, you know, to get us over the hump, here's my nomination for the, the, new, Ontario, uh, the, the new Ontario Provincial Anthem when, when all the, uh, you know, the pot stores open up. And we'll go out with this too and have some, have some fun now with Dave Wilcox, good Hamilton boy, and this is called the, the Hypnotizing Boogie. We're back at it next week, and you can download a podcast of this at latenightcouncil.com. Do it, share it with your friends, and I'll be talking to you soon. Good night.
I wanna 